Do you know that you cannot be the gospel? Or you cannot technically even live the gospel? Have you ever heard such phrases? Live the gospel, be the gospel. I may have even said those phrases before, but here's the truth. You cannot be the gospel because you are not good news. You can't be good news. If you are the gospel, we're in trouble. (laughs) If I am the gospel, it's only bad news. So we cannot even be the gospel, but we can bring the gospel. Right? We can't be the gospel, but we can bring the gospel. We can bring good news. And you can't even technically live the gospel because you're still not yet perfect. And so if you're trying to say that my life is living the gospel, you're actually telling a lie. Because the gospel is one of new creation, of transformation, of wholeness, of likeness to Jesus. And so if you're saying that I am living the gospel, again... That's not fully true, because you and I still sin. We still screw up, so it's a false or or poor teaching about what a new creation actually is. What the gospel transformation truly is, is is not true if it's a reflection of your life and my life, perfectly, in this life now. You can't live the gospel, but you can display the gospel and its transformative power. You can't live it technically because you're still broken, but you can display it and display evidences of it and fruit of it in your life. So that's what we're called to do, is display the gospel. We're called not to be the gospel, but to bring it, and not to live it, but instead to display it. We're called to display the gospel in all of its transforming power. In the book of Romans, where we are now in this last section of the book, chapter 12 through 16, is all about the gospel displayed through believers. The gospel that can be seen and evidenced in the life of the changed people. Well, the book of Romans begins by revealing what the gospel is. From verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1, it is the gospel revealed. What is it exactly? What's at the heart of the gospel? It's the beginning of chapter 1. And then you move into chapter 2, which we looked at. The second section of Romans was, it is the gospel in law. So what it begins to do is show you the standard by which God measures. He says, here's perfection, and here you are. Even all your righteous deeds get nowhere near what I require for a relationship with me. And so the gospel's revealed in the law that that it is a mirror which says, you're guilty. That's gospel. That it's good news because it is true. And it's revealing. And we need to know those things. If we never knew that we were sick, we would never seek the doctor. If you didn't know the severity of your illness, you're not going to sign up for surgery. But that's why here in chapters 1 through 1 verse 19 through 320 is the gospel in law. As in, it shows us the law and it shows us the standard by which God sees us and it reveals us to be sinners. And we know from those chapters the the deadly effects of sin on our life now and what is to come. The wages of sin is death. And not just, yes, physical death is because there's sin in the world, but, but death eternal 
Separation from God's merciful presence forever. When we remain in our sin and under that law, it's convicting us and it's telling us, it's our schoolmaster which says, you're wrong. And if we remain there, the wrath of God remains against us, John chapter 3 says. That's a devastating place to be, but that's part of what the gospel does, is reveals the truth about you and about me. But then the next section of Romans is, is a beautiful one. It's the solution. Chapters 3, verse 21 through 521 is the gospel imputed. The the, the gospel, as we will discover here as a reminder in chapter 1, is the righteousness of God. And that is imputed. That is granted to, counted to your account and my account, is a fresh start. A clean slate. All of your sin that you've come to realize through the beginnings of the, the book that, yes, that is me. I am a sinner. I, I worship created things and not the Creator. I follow after my own heart and what my own flesh desires. That, that I am, as Romans would describe here, I have a debased mind. In chapter 1 it says, I'm filled with all unrighteousness, evil and covetousness and malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We know God's decree and that those who practice all of those things deserve to die. So when that's revealed in us, we say, woe is me. And in our sinfulness, we say, well, what can I do? All right, let me just try to scrub that off while I'm doing some other good things. Let me try to outweigh. Let me try to tip the scales. Let me try to be religious. But that's not the solution we find in the gospel. The solution is you admit those things. You say, yes, I am all of those things and more. I am guilty. And God knows my guilt further and deeper than I do. And we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, what will you do? Because I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm in darkness and I'm a child of darkness. I am enslaved. God, you must do something. And so he, he does, which we see in the next section of Romans as we see God's righteousness upheld. He says, this is indeed the standard. But then he says in 321, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested Apart from the law. It's not through you doing X, Y, or Z. It's, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But we are justified. Our slate is clean. Our record of wrong is gone. We are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption. The, the, the coming back that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, as a, as a wrath-absorbing stand-in for you and for me. He became the atoning sacrifice that you needed and then you could never offer. No matter how many unblemished lambs you brought to God, it would never erase your sin or your guilt. It would only cover it for a time until you sinned in 10 minutes when you were bitter. Because whatever happened. Instead, Jesus Christ was put forth as this atoning sacrifice. 
He stood in your place condemned. And then that was to show God's righteousness, it said. It was to show the righteousness at the present time that Jesus might be just. He is right in all that he did. He's perfect in all that he did. And he's perfect in all of his judgment. And he is a justifier. He will justify you. He will wipe your record clean. He will say, sinner, no more. And it's not that you don't sin tomorrow and that you, you are guilty of those things. You are. When you sin tomorrow, you are guilty, and that is on your record. But Jesus is sufficient to cover that sin. And to the one you sin on Tuesday and on Wednesday, he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so we come not by our own doing and our own work and our own system, but instead we come trusting Solely trusting, throwing ourselves upon God and saying, the only way I'll be made clean is through Jesus. God, do this in me. So that's the next section of Romans. And then we begin to see in chapter 6 through 8 that the righteousness of God begins to be obeyed in the believer. It begins to take root in the believer so that the, the uh, moral compass changes, so that the affections change, so that the believer starts to want to live a life with their body and all of its members for God. That we realize we're no longer a slave to sin, and so we're now free in Christ to serve Him. Chapter 6 tells us that. So we don't submit ourselves again to, to slavery, but instead we live as those who are justified by faith, those who are free. We are alive to God. And then we have this picture in chapter 7 of this struggle. I want to live for God, but my flesh holds me back. I have a desire which God has given me. I want to please Him. I want to live for Him. I want to do what is right. The things I know are right now, how come I can't do them? My sin lets me down. My, my flesh lets me down, and I failed God again. There's this ginormous battle within us. We wage war in our own souls. The spirit versus the flesh. And then we see that battle in the, in the life of the believer. And then in Romans 8, it is a great chapter which shows us what life in the spirit looks like. There is this battle, yes, but there is a spirit who is with you. And even though there's this battle, even though you will sin tomorrow, there is no condemnation for you. The greatest thing the enemy wants to do for you is say, you're still condemned. You're still guilty. And that sin, you better sort it out because God will not have that. That's what the devil wants to tell you, that Jesus was not enough. That he, no, no, he's got some sins or just your past sins, but all the ones you've, you've committed since belonging to Jesus, you're on the line for those. So sort yourself out. That's what the devil wants to tell us. But Romans 8.1 says, no, there's no condemnation. Nothing stands against you because of Jesus. Jesus was condemned for it all. So there's no condemnation. There's nothing left for you because Jesus was sufficient. It's amazing what Romans chapter 8 tells us. And because of that, we're free then. We are free to, to uh, experience and live by the Spirit of God with um, a hope in the future glory and a, a a true and lasting belief in the promises of God that He uh, will bring us to glory because of His Spirit, that we're being conformed to the image of His Son. That's what we see in chapter 8. And then chapters 9 through 11 is this real heavy section explaining how God saves sinners. How does He even do it? 
Well, he does it before they, they've even done anything. He, he did it before the creation. Before the world began, he had already been at work in knowing you. And not just knowing that you'd be capable or knowing that you would do something special for him, but no, knowing that you were a filthy sinner that would one day, that he would allow and open your eyes and, and cause to repent, that you would turn from your, your ways and you would trust Jesus alone. You see that in up to the end of chapter 11. And then, as I said, chapter 12 through 16 is then this gospel that has been worked through. You've seen it um, expose you as a sinner, crush you and humble you before Jesus, uh, lift you up to say, there is a new life, so start living that way with all that you are, but there's going to be a struggle back and forth. But you're not condemned in that struggle, and you're going to live by the Spirit. And here's how God has saved you and and working in you. So if you trust that, that God saved you, not because of anything in you, but because of His sovereign choice, then you're not going to fear when you sin tomorrow. And you're not going to fear that condemnation. So when you're living by the Spirit, you can just trust Him, throw yourself fully on Him, because God is sovereign over your salvation, not you. And then you get to now, chapter 12 and beyond, is because of all those things, this is going to transform you, and here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to have this gospel, God's righteousness in you, transforming you and displaying itself. Go and and, uh, proclaim the gospel, but also go and display the gospel. (coughs) Romans chapter 1 is where it begins, where Paul gives this revealing of what the heart of the gospel is. I was thinking the other day, you know, often I will ask people that I am questionable about, like in our denomination, I'll say, well, what is the gospel? Um, And in church membership interviews, I think that's a really important question. Can Can you tell me the gospel in 90 seconds or less? And I wonder how many people can do that or do it clearly or understand really what is the heart of the gospel. Because if this is the thing that has not just saved me, but it's, it's, it's the one that, that tells me when I'm feeling condemned tomorrow, it, I can stand and believe the gospel and not be condemned. But it's also the very thing that's supposed to transform the way I live, the way I interact with the people I sit beside, the way I interact with people in traffic, The way I interact, as we're going to see in chapter 13, with my government and with my neighbors. This gospel is supposed to transform me so that it displays itself. But what is the gospel? What's the substance? Is the gospel that Jesus came to the world for me? Is that the heart of the gospel? We're going to see in chapter 1 it's not. The heart of the gospel is God. Jesus came to the world for God. Because in your sin and my sin, we robbed God of what he was owing and what he deserves. That's glory. So then when we sin, we're saying, God, you're not worth it. This thing is. My heart is. This bitterness is. That greed is. You're not worth it. They are. So we've taken glory from God. We've taken the adoration away from God and onto created things. And so Jesus came to restore adoration back to God. And he does it through saving sinners like you and like me. Let's look at chapter 1. We're going to see the beauty of this gospel so that we might learn how to display the beauty of this gospel as we begin and as we carry on in this section of the gospel displayed in us. Romans chapter 1, verses 
uh, 1, beginning there. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was a descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Here's what's for. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look down at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of this gospel. Because, or for, it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Live eternally by faith. The only way we are to live is by being righteous. Well, how are we righteous? Well, it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. This is the gospel of God, as Paul says in verse 1, the gospel of God. This is a gospel that he promised. This was a good news that would come that he promised. The news that sinners might be restored to their purpose. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. It was good news promised beforehand through the prophets. What was the gospel about? Was it concerning you? Well, no, verse 3 says it was concerning his son. It was concerning his son. And verse 4 tells us he was declared to be his son. Jesus was declared to be his son, God's son in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So part of believing the gospel often is, we forget, is believing in the resurrection. You know, we talk a lot about the cross, the cross, the cross. Look to the cross. That's where Jesus paid for your sins. Yes, indeed it is. But without the resurrection, he would not have been confirmed as or declared as the Son. We would not have known that that indeed was the Son of God, definitely without His resurrection. And so, He was declared by the resurrection to be, yes, that is the Son of God in power. That's the one that we can trust. This is Jesus Christ, verse 4 says, our Lord. That title for Jesus is telling as well of what the gospel means in your life. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior who would save God's people from their sins. He's Jesus Christ, our Lord. He becomes the king over your life. He becomes the one who is in charge of your life. And so then, when we think about how the gospel changes us and begins to display itself through us, it really can reveal a lot about our believing the Lordship 
of Christ. Like, do we really believe, do we really trust him as our Lord, as our leader, as our king? The one that we say yes to all the time. The one whom our allegiance is owed to, above ourselves, above our desires. Is he truly our Lord? And that helps you really gauge and filter every decision you will make in the day. Is, would this pass by my king? Is this acceptable in his kingdom? Would my Lord have made this decision? Will this glorify my Lord or will this distract from my Lord because he is in control of my life? This is the gospel that we receive uh, grace from. It says, Jesus, verse 5, through whom we have received grace. It is a gospel not that can be worked for, not that is deserved by anyone, but it is a gospel of grace. And, and not just in him coming to you initially and calling you out of darkness and forgiving your sin, but as a gospel of grace on a daily basis. He is still gracious towards you. Do you believe that? That he's still merciful to you? And he's still compassionate to you? If you once believed the gospel, maybe it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, don't forget the grace of God is still for you today. That when you're a sinner, he is still gracious and shows you favor that you do not deserve. But it's not because of you. It's through Jesus that we have received grace. It's only through Jesus that you have any sort of favor in God's eyes. But it is there. And I think we need to know that as we navigate this difficult life and and decisions and and hard situations in, in family or finances or health or with friends or in the world. As we navigate those things, we need the grace of God to sustain us. That, that he is sufficiently caring for us in a way that we do not deserve. And not just our bodies. Yeah, he'll, he'll take care of our bodies through common grace until we're done with them. But he sustains our soul by grace. We've received this grace. Received it as a gift. We didn't grab hold of it. We didn't, uh, we didn't work for it. We didn't uh, understand it ourselves. And so I say, I need that. Instead, we receive this grace as a gift that it is. And this grace in us, verse 5 says, does something. It says, it brings about the obedience of faith. Don't ever get that order backwards. Well, because I obeyed in faith, or because I obeyed and I trusted, therefore I received grace. Wrong. You received grace. God had favor on you, a Dirty, filthy sinner. While you were still a sinner. While you were an enemy of God. While you were spitting in his face and saying, you're not worth it. Then, and then alone, did he give you grace and favor. Which brings about obedience. We do change. There is an obeying of God. There is a law he set, which we read in his word. And the law he's written on our heart. And the law that the Spirit convict us of. So then we begin to obey it. As we trust him, as we take a step of faith every day, I trust you. I don't know what this means, and I don't know how to do this completely, but I trust you, and I want to obey you with my life. And you see the reason of it all. The reason of it all. The gospel and our faith and our grace and everything is the last part of verse 5. For the sake of his name, among all the nations, 
It's for the sake of His name. It's for the uh, glorification, the adoration, the lifting up of His name and all that He is. All that is wrapped up in God's name, the personal God, the I Am, Jehovah, Yahweh God. He says it's for the sake of that. It's for the sake of His name that He has called you out of darkness and brought you to marvelous light. That He sought you when when a sinner. It's for the sake of His name. So that it could be restored to Him, that His name would not be diminished or tarnished anymore in your life. Because of your soul, so that one day when you go to hell... His name is continually being diminished because of your unrepentance. And there is a a tarnishment on his name there. No, he says, I'm going to restore my name in them. I'm going to glorify myself in them. So then our design as human beings, we were made in the image of God. What's an image but supposed to be reflecting of its creator? We're supposed to be always pointing back to, look at, I am like God so that we can adore God. The image was broken at the fall. And in our sin, we've totally uh, diminished the name of God. But yet he has come again for the fame of his name, for the sake of his name. In all peoples, in all nations, it says, including you. You. As much as this gospel is a, is a general call to the people, and we can declare to all people, come. And if those who have ears to hear will hear. Those who have hearts to believe that Christ is given, they will come. But it is to it, a general call, but it says it includes you. You, you were, you were called to belong to Christ Jesus. Oftentimes what we're seeking for in the world is a place of belonging. Where can I belong? Where can I fit in? Who can I be? Um, how, how, how will I get people to like me? How can I make sure that I feel like I fit? How can I make myself comfortable whether it's in a, in a home you buy or the, the family you have or the friends you have or the stuff you do. You want to be feeling like you're at home, like you belong. Well, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And that is an eternal belonging. That is by grace. We have a sense of belonging. We don't need to search for it in the world and everything they offer us and say, you want to belong? Join this club. Do this thing. Uh, be like everybody else. No, you belong to Jesus as to those who are in Rome and to us who are loved by God, called to be saints, what is belonging to us is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that Paul says in verse 16 that he is not ashamed of. It's a gospel that is transforming you, that, that shapes your affections. When our hearts just long after things on a daily basis, when we forget God at noontime, when, when we go through a day and we've not even considered him, This is the gospel that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of, but yet we're often ashamed of it. We're ashamed, and and we're not even persecuted in this country. Even if you wore a t-shirt that says, I believe the gospel every day, you're not going to be persecuted in such a sense that you need to be ashamed of yourself because you're going to maybe face punishment or trial. But yet, Paul says, I'm not ashamed, but it's not... The key part is not being not ashamed. It's why he's not ashamed. Why should you and I not be ashamed? Why should we love this gospel so much, allow this gospel to so influence our lives in every little detail? Like, this is why I buy what I buy, and this is why I teach my kids what I teach them, and this is why I say these things, is because the gospel's in me. So that's what it means to not be ashamed of the gospel. It's not just like you're wearing, uh, you got a billboard outside your house that says, I believe the gospel, I believe in Jesus. 
It's not what it means to not be ashamed. It means when you make decisions, are they influenced by the grace of God, the transforming power of God, the obedience of faith in your life? Are you not ashamed of that? Are you just walking, even if it's contrary to the the flow of everybody else, are you walking because it's a life of obedience and you're not ashamed of that? You're not ashamed to take a step that looks different. You're not ashamed to to give your money to God and to to serving missionaries and to serving the gospel. You're not ashamed. When people say, well, why why would you do that? There's no shame. Like, this is what I love to do because Jesus has done so much more for me. That's what the gospel does. It transforms us so that we're not ashamed of it. Because we believe this gospel is the power of God for salvation. We believe it. It's the power of God for salvation. You and I needed rescue. We were drowning. We were were drowned on the bottom of an ocean floor, passing time, sinning after sinning after sinning, until we would be an eternal Abyss. We needed salvation, and he came and he plucked us up with such power. That's the power of the gospel. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed and that that's going to transform me. That's going to change me. That I don't get to carry on as I desire, but that God now is the Lord of my life. I'm not ashamed of that because it's the power of God to, to rescue me, to give me that sense of belonging, to ultimately Restore his name and his image in me, bit by bit, to one day in glory it will be perfect. This is not just the power of God for salvation, but verse 17 says, it is the righteousness of God that is revealed. The righteousness of God, not only his right standard, but also his perfection that can be accounted to us in and through our union with Jesus. At the cross, your sins were not just forgiven. But his righteousness was accounted to you. If your sins were just forgiven, you had a clean slate, now you've got to do something. You've got to work. You've got to meet the law, meet the standard. Get, get going. Jesus forgave you. All right. Now get working hard. That's not what happened. What happened was your, your debt was wiped clean. No longer counted as a sinner before the judgment seat of God because Jesus took it all sufficiently. But more than that, he applied himself to your life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 has that great exchange. For in him who knew no sin, he became sin for us. So that when we're in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That, that on our account is in the positive. That we have honored God. That we have glorified God. That we have served God. We have lived for God. We have spread God. That's what it's accounted to us. And so, that's how we should then live. We should live in light of what God has accounted to us and, and accredited to us through Jesus. We're to live by faith in that, trusting in that. To not be ashamed of the gospel does not mean that you need to wear cheesy Christian t-shirts every day or yell from a street corner that you're not ashamed. But it does mean, and it does require, that this gospel is displayed in you. It is transforming you. And so the reason we must be clear about what the gospel means and what it is, that it's mainly about God's restored glory, is so that we're not living a life of falsehood. A life that maybe if we are living a life of a wrong understanding of what the gospel means, we might be obsessed with our health and our bodies and thinking that God has come to restore our bodies fully. And that that's what it means to to have the power of God on display in me. 
Or that we are, we are burning ourselves out trying to do good works with a wrong motive. That's also a wrong display of the gospel. Or a wrong display of the gospel is also, and most importantly, a continual life of unrepentance. Or of tolerance of sin. That's not a proper display of the gospel. If you tolerate sin in your life, and you carry on in unrepentance, you're not displaying the gospel. Because the gospel is not just like, hey, come as you are, and you're just like free to be you, and just keep on going. I wiped your clean slate, I counted Jesus to you, but hey, that's just a spiritual thing. Keep doing what you do, be a sinner, carry on until you get to heaven. That's not the gospel. But sometimes we live like it is. Sometimes we just carry on in our unrepentant sin. Sometimes we just try to brush it off or try to um, drown out the sound of conviction or of the Word of God. We try to ignore it and we try to drown out. We try to fill our minds so that we cannot hear the conviction of the Spirit saying, wrong, repent. We need to live a life of turning from our sin. That's the gospel. You do not believe the gospel if you're not living a life of continual repentance, turning away from your sin, turning to God again, turning away from yourself, turning to Jesus again. You're not believing the gospel and you're not um, displaying the gospel if that's not your life. That's what we're called to do. And that transforms us in every single way. And in chapter 13 of Romans, as we're going to enter into this in the next coming weeks, we're going to see how that is displayed in our relationship to our government. That difficult relationship between us and our government and what God says about it and how we're going to display God's transforming power in us through that relationship. Instead, may our life be marked by a true gospel, one that has eliminated the guilt and the shame, that brings us from light to darkness, that gives us Christ's own righteousness, and then... Here's the thing, that Jesus' righteousness begins to transform us and is evidenced in us and seen in us and noticeable in us and displayed in us. Is it? The gospel is displayed in the people it changes. It is. You will know a tree by its fruit. It will be a display of transformation. That God is doing something in you. Slow, yes. Seasons of darkness, yes. But there is progressive sanctification. That is, God is chiseling, chiseling away at you. And you do not look the same this year that you did last year. If you you say that you have read the Bible uh, as much now as you have before you were a Christian, you're in trouble. If you say that you pray as much now as you did 10 years ago, you may be in trouble. It's progressive. We are growing. It's a growing relationship. It's imagine a baby staying a baby for 25 years. Something's wrong with that. And that's the Christian life sometimes. Sometimes we're just like, oh yeah, I'm just good with showing up and just, do, just barely getting anything. Just getting my diaper changed every Sunday and getting back out in life. Like seriously, that's how some people live, right? Go get your diaper changed and carry on. And thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, are you? A Christian is a growing thing. It's a living thing. It, is, it, it grows. It, it matures. It, it does more. It, it is more active. It's moving towards God. It is better able to reflect God because we understand God more. And God is doing more in us. 
Gospel is displayed as a transforming thing, that we are hating sin more this year than we did last year. That we're more aware of what pleases God this year than we were last year. That we love Him more this year than we did last year. And that transforms the way we live and the way we relate to one another and the way we act in this world and we act at the bank and at tax season and in our purchases. It changes all of those things. It changes what you watch, what you listen to, how you speak, how you think, what you look at, what you don't look at. The gospel changes these things. Yes, sometimes slowly, but it does. So next week, as we launch into chapter 13, we're going to see how this gospel, God's righteousness in us, transforms the way we live in this dark world. He has not called us out of this world, but he's called to live Call us to live here and now. So then how are we more specifically supposed to um, display the gospel as we submit to our government and as we interact with our neighbors? Those are the two challenges we're going to see in chapter 13. Two very difficult challenges because we are still sinners and those in government are sinners and our neighbors are sinners. So how do we, how do we as transformed people interact in this world so that God gets the glory? Because that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of the gospel. How do we interact with others so that he gets the glory? And others also might join in that chorus and sing with us. To him belongs all praise. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a great God who deserves our whole heart's affection. Who deserves all the glory who deserves for um, every nation and every people group to be able to sing your praises. God, one day we will join in the heavenly chorus and and with others of every tribe and tongue and, and language and peoples. And we long for that day. And God, we realize that in this world, that day is not yet here. And that this world is not a, a place of praise. Um, it is a dark dark world, but God, we are so glad that we've received grace through Jesus and that it is transforming us. So God, we want, to, we want your help to even evaluate our own hearts in how we are displaying the gospel, how we are allowing your grace and your undeserved favor in our life to be transforming us, the way we think and the way we want to point people to you in all of our small and significant decisions. Uh, God, would you help us To this end, to want to be people who not only bring the gospel, but people who display the gospel. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.